But then the South African data came out where it was, it was pretty clear that, that HIV was a risk factor for death. Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the October 28th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objective is discuss the data pertaining to risk of COVID-19 disease severity for people living with HIV. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in-kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Matthew Spinelli, Assistant Professor in the Division of HIV, Infectious Disease, and Global Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and San Francisco General Hospital. They will be discussing both the direct and indirect impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the HIV epidemic, as well as people living with HIV. Dr. Alwater, Dr. Spinelli, thanks again for your time. Yeah, thank you, Faith. And uh, we really have an opportunity today to dive into both uh, the pandemic's direct and, and also indirect effects on uh, an important uh, illness, and that's HIV infection, which remains, of course, a, a very important infectious disease topic, not only in North America, but also globally. And it's great that uh, Matthew's been able to join us today. Uh, yeah, Matthew, uh, you know, I think many people are familiar that uh, when you really dive into the risk factors for hospitalizations or mortality, it looks like age really trumps everything. Uh, you're over 60, 70, 80, you know, it just gets worse as you get older. Men do worse than women. Uh, also, comorbidities count. But interestingly, if you look at the CDC list, HIV is under the maybe list. It's not on their higher uh, order list. And that's a little counterintuitive, but certainly HIV isn't always impacted by every infection that comes along. And, and COVID itself is an immunosuppressive illness in some ways as well. So I was wondering, could you give us some of your thoughts on uh, the data on you know, whether people with HIV need to be worried uh, about COVID-19 or what should we be advising our patients? Yeah, I, I think you raised a lot of important points and I would agree that age seems to be the greatest risk factor we've seen so far, seems to trump uh, even many of the comorbidities that have been more talked about. So yeah, I mean, I've been in general relieved to see that HIV has not been a, a bigger risk factor 
in terms of disease severity, I, I do think there is a bit of uh, uncertainty about what role HIV plays. I think part of that is the early epidemic was in regions of lower HIV incidence, and most of our data still comes from places where HIV is certainly less common than cardiovascular disease or diabetes. So I think we do have to have a little bit of, of, of caution until the data gets a little bit stronger. The data in Spain, I thought was quite reassuring. There were very large cohorts. They have probably better record systems than, than we have in tracking uh, their patients. And that gave me a lot of reassurance. But then the South African data came out where it was, it was pretty clear that, that HIV was a risk factor for death uh, related to COVID-19 in that setting. What could underlie that? Differences in immunologic control, virologic suppression, comorbidities like tuberculosis, which certainly are um, much more prevalent in that region. So I do think I am not as worried as I was early in the epidemic, but I think there's still, it's appropriate to have some caution. I certainly would not list it as a definite risk factor for severe disease. The last point is there's a little bit of growing data about CD4 count. There was a paper that came out in CID last month that suggested uh, from, a, from a, a kind of a pooled cohort of HIV clinics in the U.S. that suggested that CD4 count less than 200 versus CD4 count greater than 500 may be somewhat of a risk factor, but I think we, need, we just need more data right now. Yeah. This program is going to air a little after uh, ID week, and I was in a taping session with Connie Benson, who made much the same uh, conclusions you did, that if you look at most of the data from Europe and North America, there doesn't seem to be a really striking independent risk factor. But then the, I think you mentioned the Davies paper in uh, the AIDS journal, the South African experience that uh, was a little bit of an outlier, but also probably reflects a, a, a different population. And perhaps there are other issues where access to care and so on may be playing some role. So, so I guess, you know, we usually have universal messaging for everyone anyway, right. for, uh, for our HIV patients, we're often counseling and, and we're actually screening much more intensively for, uh, uh, depending on uh, their aspects for certain diseases, for example, um, communicable diseases and so on. So what do you tell your patients? Because um, some of them are quite worried and what kind of advice do you tend to relay to them in terms of prevention strategies? As the epidemic has gone on, I have uh, kind of switched to more of a universal, these are the universal precautions we all need to take to protect mm-hmm. ourselves. And it's less about your, your disease status. Um, certainly our patients, whether HIV is a, is, a, is a strong risk factor or not, they have many comorbidities, many of them smoke at higher rates than the general population. So uh, for a variety of reasons, my, my patients probably are at a, at a, at a little bit higher risk than, than the general population. But I think at this point, uh, given the lack of control of the epidemic we have in the United States, universal precautions, uh, I think, is a avoid stigma about uh, either related to COVID-19 or HIV. And I think that's that's probably the best approach. Yeah. Uh, it, none of your patients are asking for lopinavir or ritonavir switch in their ART program right now. No, and we weren't doing that in my um, hospital, uh, happy to report, although other hospitals were, I've heard. Um, You know, probably what I see more chatter, and and, and perhaps because I'm in the prep space as well, is about could TDF-FTC or TAF-FTC have some impact? Um, 
uh, against SARS-CoV-2. And I think the data is not particularly convincing right now. Um, so I certainly would, would not switch anyone, but happy to bring it out. Most of my patients are on that, that uh, nucleoside combo anyway. So Right. Well, and, and I think, although uh, you probably have a better sense of behavioral aspects, but patients that might be on PrEP and are very proactive probably are a little more tuned in to taking um, measures on a reliable basis than other people in our clinic. Um, is, is that your perception? I, you know, there's always a range of patient behaviors and uh, so on. So perhaps I, I am less worried about patients on PrEP in a way because I, I think they, they sort of understand risks and, and, and modification needed to try to reduce that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, we have some data that people with PrEP are more likely to get the flu shot from, from uh, Dr. Julia Marcus and, and other preventative measures. I will say there's heterogeneity in the population on PrEP. And uh, I think a lot of the data we've seen that showed higher susceptibility to SARS-CoV-2, perhaps not to severe disease, but, but more infections among people with HIV are because the social determinants of health that, that confer risk for HIV and, and hence the people who should be on PrEP have some similarities with the, with the susceptibility for SARS-CoV-2, like housing. Certainly our early epidemic was really uh, uh, clustered around homeless shelters. Um, so yeah, I think there's probably, for some populations, yes, for some populations, they are vulnerable because of poverty or lack of housing or injection drug use or all these things. In the institutions or, or the communities that you're working in, uh, do you feel that the city um, or local health resources had all been mounted sufficiently to help uh, these groups as we move into winter? Um, I can tell you in Baltimore, I don't have a strong sense that you know we're really preparing for winter time where I think these same populations are gonna be at very high risk in congregate settings, whether they're shelters and so on. So uh, I, you know, we've seen this coming, but I don't think I've seen a lot of communities tackle it yet. Yeah, I mean, on a national level, I'm very worried about the winter. I will say very proud and very happy to, to, to be, uh, to work with our health department who, who've really had an excellent response and achieved some of the lowest, uh, some, some of the greatest epidemic control in, in spite of um, being one of the earlier sites to see community transmission. Um, not humble brag, our winters aren't so bad here. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but but we, we, our flu season does still um, peak during this time. Yeah, I, I'm quite worried about a lot of our, you know, there's a big rush to, to open businesses and businesses have mostly opened and, and dining uh, outdoors. You know, that's not going to work year round in, in most of the country. So um I'm really worried. I mean, I'm certainly not ready to, to do indoor dining with our control of the epidemic. So, right. Yeah. No, I think those are all excellent points. So, I think from a take uh, messages to take home, I think we can maybe reassure our patients that their HIV doesn't necessarily put them in extraordinary increased risk to this viral infection. And also that uh, standard measures and, and people that probably really do need to concentrate mitigator those that have the risk factors that are probably applicable to most people, age, comorbidities, and so on. Is there anything else that you would add or uh, from a, either an individual or a public health measure for uh, clinicians and other people interested in listening to this broadcast? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I have been concerned to see that some of these really exciting developments and moving people from homeless shelters or the street into into you know hotels to kind of reduce their risk. Uh, some of that stuff is has feels like it's being scaled back a lot of uh, in a lot of jurisdictions. There there was certainly a a kind of a public on the Upper West Side of New York that 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 was in the news recently. So I, I do worry that there will be kind of a a, a um, withdrawing of some of the public health measures that, that are important both for our people living with HIV and, and for COVID-19 control. Um, I think the next issue for our patients is going to be around vaccination and and also immunity and do, do people living with HIV mount the same immune responses to either a vaccine or natural infection. Certainly we, the flu shot, uh, there, there's, there's data on, on that being a bit less effective among our patients. Um, and that's something that we're studying right now. So um, hopefully we'll work hard to get some data out uh, out for Croy on that on that issue. Yeah, I think the the vaccine one is one that we're thinking about across the board and probably will have some differential effect in populations in terms of its dur uh, efficacy and durability, probably safety too. So, yeah, yeah. Dr. Spinelli, I really wanted to thank you for sharing your thoughts on uh, issues pertinent to HIV and the pandemic. Uh, I think they were uh, very instructive. And we're going to focus a little more on the indirect effects uh, that the pandemic has in our next broadcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, an interesting discussion. Dr. Allwater, Dr. Spinelli, thank you again for your time. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.